Hey, welcome to another episode of The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley. Today we are talking about what looks a lot like the impending presidential candidacy of former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick. I am joined by my colleague Peter Kadzis, senior editor at WGBH News, and the other senior editor at WGBH News, Ken Cooper. Peter and Ken, thank you both for being here. Great to be here. Thanks for having us, Adam. And we are talking, as some of you probably expected us to talk, about the news that Deval Patrick, the former governor of Massachusetts, is at a bare minimum seriously considering running for the presidency in 2020. This story got legs on the heels of a KCUR interview that Deval Patrick did in which he said that running for president in the next cycle was on his radar. Let's take a listen to the exchange, or a bit of the exchange, between the host of the program Patrick was appearing on and the governor himself. Is it on your radar screen? It's on my radar screen, but, you know, it's a huge decision, Um, particularly when I think, you know, I'm still a kid from the south side of Chicago. But a decision that can't be too far off in the making, though. This is 2018. No, no, I understand. I understand. I mean, my, my current focus is to figure out how, consistent with my day job, I can help uh, some of the candidates who are running in 2018. I am trying to think through 2020, and that's from a personal and family point of view, and also uh, whether, you know, what I believe is going to be on offer by somebody. So, Ken Cooper, when you heard that interview with Deval Patrick, what was your reaction? Not at all surprised. I had an understanding that he harbored his presidential ambitions I went into his office in the State House to interview him for a book. And at the end of the interview, I kind of apologized that I hadn't been to either of his inaugurals. And his response was something like, well, if I get inaugurated again, I hope you can come. And my response was, what would he be inaugurated for but for president? Do you have any recollection of what the look on his face was when he made that joke or the tone of his voice? It wasn't a joke. It was like sort of a wink nod. It was very direct, calm. He's throwing a clue out there. Yeah, I'm not done yet. Did you think, yeah, right, dream on, Deval Patrick? Or did you think, yeah, you know, that actually, uh, that could happen. This guy's got what it takes to be elected president. Or was it something in between those two? I actually just took it as a statement of his intent. Uh, I didn't really do any kind of calculus about probabilities. I said, okay, the guy wants to run for president. I'd heard that, and I guess he kind of just told me that. Peter Kadzis, when Deval Patrick told KCUR that running for president was on his radar, what was your reaction? Well, my reaction had as much to do with uh, events of a couple of days before. Deval Patrick broke what was almost a three-year Twitter silence. Then that weekend, he went to APAC. Brief appearance. American Israel Political Action Committee. There he was. So then you have him at the NPR station in Kansas City, Missouri, responding to an interviewer who's asking him if the 2020 election was on his radar screen. Governor Patrick made it very clear in the way he answered that question that, yes, he's thinking about it. But that phrase on the radar screen was the interviewer's phrase, not Deval Patrick's phrase. When I first saw on Twitter that phrase quoted, I thought it was much more of a sure thing than it really is. I think that's a really important point, because if you don't know that he was reiterating the interviewer's own language, you think he's making a much bolder proclamation than if you actually listen to the full tape. And it's worth pointing out, too, that 
Deval Patrick is really good at making the people he is speaking with in one-on-one conversation feel like they are being listened to with great intensity. He has a few techniques that he uses for doing this. One of them is the arched eyebrow that he does, where one eyebrow goes up really, really high and the other stays where it ordinarily is. Maybe it even furrows a bit. I, I wish everyone could see Adam playing Trying with his own eyebrows. Oh, I yeah. wish I could do what the governor does. Now, my, my own theory— That's why you're not governor, and he is. That's exactly right. <laughs> he was. And then I think another thing that he does to, to give the impression of great attentiveness is— take the language that's used by a questioner and use it himself in the response, which Peter, as you said, is exactly what he did in this case. Yeah. Now, when he was governor, there was all sorts of crazy, baseless speculation that he was going to be named attorney general, you know, that he was going to go to the Supreme Court. Everyone conveniently forgetting that he had pledged to serve out his term in office. And it was something that you don't always take politicians at their word, but Deval Patrick had promised his wife that he was going to finish out his term and then do something else. I think he said, go make some money on more than one occasion. Yeah. And people I know who are close to Patrick said he likes money. Who doesn't? Good for him. But this had a different ring, and it reminded me very much of early Deval Patrick, the insurgent candidate Deval Patrick, Twitter, APAC, you know, the, the radio stage. And the then this interview. week he's got an event in Philadelphia. I want to play for both of you some sound of John Walsh, who was Deval Patrick's campaign manager when he came out of nowhere and shocked the political establishment by becoming governor of Massachusetts. He told me that he thinks those of us in the press who are getting all excited about the possibility of a Patrick 2020 run are getting just a tiny bit ahead of ourselves. Let's take a listen. So I think what he's saying here is what the truth is. Number one, that following the election of Donald Trump as president, many people are stopping and thinking about what should I be doing here, (laughs) that that doing nothing is not okay. You know, he's made a decision and the circumstances are allowing him to spend a little more time trying to help. I think that when he's asked the question about uh, 2020, what I interpret him saying is, it's early, I have not made any decisions, but I am going to try to weigh in and help a little more in 2018. Okay, so there we hear John Walsh, Deval Patrick's former campaign manager, saying, dial it back a bit. He's looking at this, he's looking seriously at this, but nothing more. Walsh, by the way, is now senior advisor to Democrat Seti Warren's gubernatorial campaign. So, uh, Ken Cooper, do you buy that? Yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) Nobody actually said he was running already. Uh, I mean, he didn't say that. I mean, I don't see where... We've done anything back. Other I'll than... confess, I might have used, uh, when I left a message for John Walsh, a phrase along the lines of the soft launch of Deval Patrick's 2020 presidential candidacy. So maybe I used a phrase that he found Well, maybe it's, a at the very excessive. least it's the soft launch of a test balloon about a 2020 like presidential that. candidacy. Um, and as I indicated in my previous comments, it's been clear to me that he harbors presidential ambitions. So the idea that he would look at that prospect this time around is not surprising. Uh, he is not that old by presidential standards. Uh, he's, I think, 62. A uh, youngster. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Another cycle could go by and he still would be, you know, in mid-60s. He's got time if he wants to take time and... 
If not, you know, he could jump in now. So, To me, this says he wants to be on the inside of the process, whether it's him or whether it's someone else. I mean, the odds are it would be someone else. There's a lot to do. There's a lot at stake. There's raising money. There's future appointments. You know, this is a high-stakes game, and well, he's saying he wants in. A lot of people, myself included, have interpreted the election of Donald Trump as, among other things, a backlash to the election of the first African-American president. Does that make Patrick more or less attractive as a candidate? It's tricky. Trump's election was part of a backlash. But we can't forget Trump lost the popular vote. It's hard for us to clear our minds of the fact that we had a brilliant guy like Obama and possibly a very smart guy like Deval Patrick. And if they were both white, we wouldn't be considering their race. But let me flip that coin over a bit with Americans of color being increasingly united against the Republicans. That could be seen as a plus if handled properly. And Deval Patrick knows how to handle many things properly. Ken Cooper, what do you think? I think, you know, the party leaders, if they're wise, will take a close look at who can get elected. And you can see that, you know, despite what John Wall says or what former Governor Patrick said, uh, there's a reason he was given that talk in Missouri, in the heartland, as Peter noted. And Missouri's a swing state that hasn't swung very much to the blue lately. You know, he talked about him and guns in certain rural, white, working-class precincts of the country. That play talk plays kind of good. He knows how to shoot, and he's pretty good at it. Our listeners cannot see the great big two thumbs up I gave you when you brought that up, because to my mind, that's the detail in all of this that is the most strongly suggestive of him being really serious about this. We might want to explain, because not everyone may realize what we're talking about. Governor Patrick told KCUR that he used to uh, go shooting with the state troopers when he was governor, and that he was a pretty good shot, right? That's pretty obvious appeal to some of the folks who were in Trump's camp. I don't remember hearing those stories when he ran for governor here in Massachusetts, certainly. I mean, the next thing you know, there'll be a picture of him shooting a long gun in a shooting range or something like that. Uh, It's kind of like a pretty basic tactic if you want to appeal to people in certain precincts and make them feel like you're not going to take their guns away. And there certainly are Trump supporters in those sort of heartland precincts for guns and hunting and things like that are popular pastimes and people are attached to their guns that would vote for an African-American because they're not necessarily animated to vote for Trump because of racial feeling. I got to ask both of you about how Senator Elizabeth Warren's plans might factor in here. A couple days ago, she was on Meet the Press and she said that she was not right now running for president but also declined to commit to serving out her entire six-year senatorial term if she wins election this fall. One of the points that Deval Patrick made in his interview with KCUR that kicked off this wave of speculation was that he's going to be looking at the other Democrats who are thinking about this race. And if candidates who bring to the table what he thinks he could bring to the table choose to enter the race separately— then that might lead him to sit it out. If Elizabeth Warren does decide to seek the presidency, do you think that would make Deval Patrick less likely to run 
Or would that not make a difference? I think with making less likely to run, I mean, first of all, you'd have two candidates from the state of Massachusetts, many of whom's fundraising networks would overlap. It wouldn't make a great deal of sense. And Elizabeth Warren, I take on a word about what her plans are right now because she doesn't want to say before she's reelected to the Senate that, yeah, I'm running for president. And on the previous question about, you know, an African-American following Barack Obama, I mean, two of the other names mentioned as prospective Democratic nominees next time around are Cory Booker, Kamala Harris from California, Booker from New Jersey, both African-American senators. So I don't think that there's necessarily any reluctance in Democratic Party circles. But I think in the end, people are going to think about who can get us across the finish line to to get the electoral votes (laughs) to win. Yeah. See, I, I found Elizabeth Warren's comments on Meet the Press indicative of this sort of odd position she finds herself in. To her credit, you know, she is one of the best known members of the U.S. Senate. And it always behooves those people to never close the door on running for president because you're looked at differently by your colleagues and by everyone else if people think there's even a whisper of a chance that you could run. On the other hand, I don't think she wants to be president. She probably thinks she can do more where she is now. Not committing to filling out her Senate term could also mean other things. Again, if a Democrat were elected president and wanted to name her to the cabinet, secretary of the treasury, attorney general, a a position on the Supreme Court, these are real possibilities. She's in an awkward position here. Part of that awkward position, too, is is also the Native American heritage issue that just won't die and isn't going to die because the Republicans in Massachusetts will, nationwide, will fan the flames. You don't think she put that to rest with that recent speech she gave, uh, talking about how every time her ancestry was brought up, she was going to double down in support of uh, Native American causes? No, she's never going to placate the crazies on the right. She's somewhat caught up in this. Is it going to kill her? No. Is it going to haunt her? Yes. All right, in closing, and I'm putting you on the spot here, Ken Cooper, I should ask you, before I ask my real next question, to share a little bit of your biography with listeners who might not be familiar with you. Because when it comes to watching people operating at the level of presidential politics, you have way more experienced than I do, and I'm pretty sure more experienced than your fellow senior editor here. He's got a heck of a resume. <laughs> he does. He does. So share with the listeners a little bit. My, of that my fellow senior editor is a little more senior than I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, I spent about a dozen years in Washington covering national politics for the Washington Post and the late great newspaper chain called Knight Ritter Newspapers. I covered maybe three cycles of congressional elections, I covered the 1988 presidential race of one former Massachusetts governor named Michael S. Michael Stanley Dukakis. You told me in one of our, I think, first conversations, this great anecdote you had about a sort of striking exchange that occurred with a prominent member of the press corps who was also covering that campaign. I was on the Dukakis campaign's airplane late in the campaign, and... The APC reporter on the campaign, the venerable Sam Donaldson, was sitting in his seat with his arm folded with a kind of cross look on his face. And I was walking toward him, and I said, Sam, what's the matter? 
And he just burst out. I'm tired of losers. I'm tired of being with losers. I was with Mondell and he lost. I was with this one and everything. I'm tired of being losers. <laughs> and before he knew it, three or four Dukakis aides had rushed down to try to calm <laughs> Sam down. <laughs> and Laurie's his temperature, although uh, it was probably pretty clear at that point that what he was saying, he was speaking the truth. <laughs> Now, you alluded to the famous tank incident earlier. That story is good enough, but do you actually have a tank story as well? Yeah, you know, I think what was shown on television was only a piece of the story. And again, actually, Sam Donaldson figures in this one again. I love it. You know, we're in Michigan, and Dukakis is in this tank, and he's going around this sort of field, and the traveling press corps is on a viewing platform. And so at one point, Dukakis is coming straight at the viewing platform, and he's acting like he's got the (laughs) machine gun aimed at Donaldson, who's standing in the center of the platform. And Donaldson put up his dukes, like the old-style sort of John Sullivan way, sort of your fist are... Where the back of your hands are facing the person who you're... And Dukakis, and Dukakis is pretending like he was... And we were all laughing. it It was humorous. But, you know, Republicans and their artfulness took what was humorous and added a touch of ridicule to it. And it was devastating to Dukakis. And I remember asking one of his aides, Dukakis, wasn't he in the Army uh, during the Korean War? You got any shot to him in uniform? <laughs> I mean, in some ways, it's not that ridiculous that he would be in a tank. The, the, the real problem there was the helmet he had on. John Kennedy would never allow himself to be photographed with anything on his head. Now, if you notice at his inauguration, Kennedy carries his top hat most of the time. He just knew... Oh, that's interesting. He he just knew that wearing a hat is a problem. All right, discussing these things, I have to close by urging any listeners who aren't familiar with the images I'm about to allude to here to get on Google and look up John Kerry hazmat suit. And then, I think that's my second favorite awkward political image of all time. And then my perennial favorite, nothing will ever knock this one out of the number one spot, Mitt Romney fudge. Look it up. Ken Cooper, senior editor at WGBH News. Thank you for being here. And Peter Kadzis, senior editor at WGBH News. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thank you for having us, Adam. And that is going to do it for this installment of The Scrum. Thanks to all of you for listening. As always, you can contact Peter Kadzis and me on Twitter. He's at Kadzis. I'm at Riley Adam. You can also email us at scrum at wgbh.org. We would love to get your thoughts on topics that we should cover, things we should do differently, or things that we're doing well. Also, we'd love it if you subscribed to the podcast, if you haven't already on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. This episode was produced with considerable help from Doug Shugarts. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.